and welcome to another episode of the Kurere Podcast. In today's episode, we interview Lala Violet Halum, who's an award-winning young changemaker, technologist, and public speaker. Since 2020, Lala has connected thousands of young people and lifelong learners globally to industry leaders and policymakers. She uses technology as a catalyst to drive the UN Sustainable Development Goals and ensures young people are at the fore of the ongoing digital transformation. Through her work, Lala strives to diversify the industry by creating unique opportunities for young people, particularly underserved and underrepresented groups and those with non-traditional academic backgrounds, highlighting the important role young people play in industry and in wider society. Her efforts towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals, quality education, gender equality, decent work and economic growth, reduced inequalities, have been recognized as a recipient of the 2021 Diana Award, the Harvard Society Prize, and she's also been a finalist in the Women of the Future Young Star category and the Northern Power Women Want to Watch. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Lela is an amazing change maker and she has so much knowledge to give and yeah enjoy hello my name is Lella Violet Halim and you are listening to the Carrerier podcast hi Lella welcome to the Carrerier podcast we're very excited to have you here to speak to you about your work as a digital change maker as a youth inclusion champion and just to learn more about you the work you've done the work you're doing and just your future plans, basically. So thank you. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we'll start off with like, I think our very basic question, but it, it gets the job done. But our first question is, um, who is Lala? So could you tell us a bit about yourself, about your journey? What drives you? Yeah. Gosh, who is Lala? What a big question. I think something I'm still trying to work out myself thank you as well for having me on your podcast um i think you'll find by the end of this episode that i could speak on behalf of the whole of england i love talking about you know topics i'm passionate for um and this was such a, a wonderful opportunity to be invited to to speak on so to tell you a bit more about as you say who i am what i do What's my journey? What my my purpose is in life? I'm Lella. I'm 18 years old. I am British Lebanese and I'm based in Yorkshire in England. So up north in the countryside, such a beautiful area to grow up in. Um, My journey began at knee height when I was shadowing my parents who would always have their work laptops in arm and i'd always be like hmm what's this mysterious online digital world that they're tapping into um and very quickly probably before i learned to properly read and write i'd find myself creating presentations and creating things online um for my parents and for my friends about you know my favorite sweets or my favorite um holiday destinations or all things that really fascinated a five-year-old and very quickly i found myself picking up this digital literacy and these digital skills and that was really what made me curious and woke me up in the morning it was tapping into this online world which i found really harnessed my creativity and i found such great potential within it wasn't until I started going to school and I had IT, computer science lessons, that I realised I was different. I had taught myself to code when I was eight. Again, a complete accident, a matter of creativity where 
I remember accidentally pressing a button which pulled up this mystery language behind my favorite alphabet learning website. And it was when I used this site that I discovered um, this mystery language of code, teaching myself, discovering, you know, how it powers not just my favorite websites, but my favorite films and my favorite toys, all powered by code and by tech. And as I say, I went into the classroom and I immediately felt this disconnect between the online world, which I was interacting with at home and playing with for fun, in contrast to the computer science curriculum. It was because of that, that my parents so supportedly, you know, helped me find opportunities to continue to grow and continue to fuel this growing hunger to find out more. And um, I remember my mum found me a hackathon, which if those of you who don't know is this 24 hour competition where you go and you program an app, you develop an idea, and then you pitch it to a panel of investors. This event, however, was created for postgraduate students. So everyone who was there was over the age of 21. And I was there, 11 year old Lella at the back of the yeah. room, and I got really easily mistaken by, um, as like the daughter of a participant rather than actually going there myself. And by mm -hmm. the end of it, I actually ended up winning. And it was that event that really catalyzed um, my growth. I met mentors, I met um, fellow young people. And I remember leaving that event and saying to my parents that it felt like I was at Disneyland. It was the happiest place on earth for me, as they always say Disneyland is. And it was after going there that I had access to work experience opportunities. I delivered my first keynote speech um, at the age of 11 to the whole of IBM Middle East and Africa, which is one of the big four tech companies. Again, for those of you who might not be familiar. Um, and yeah, that really just showed me this real world of technology. And while that was my greatest discovery and I had the ability to really pioneeringly gain access to the latest tech developments and innovations, I noticed just how demotivated my peers were by the computer science curriculum, the textbooks, what they were learning and how they too were seeing the difference between their mobile phone, their iPad, their laptop, the tech that they touch daily and powered every aspect of their daily lives in contrast to what the teachers were making us do um, at school. So this couple, this frustration coupled with what I then went on to do, you know, studying for my exams at 16 and then COVID coming along and cancelling those exams, which I dedicated everything to and put all my professional work at IBM to one side to do. I really took this as an opportunity to really reflect on that and think, you know, how can we greater expand this equity of opportunity, make sure that everyone has equal access to the digital transformation and an opportunity to be a part of it rather than be cast aside like we often are in wider society. And that's really to where I am now, leading a global student movement where we've got young people all around the world of thousands of different you know, sectors and countries and interests, but all bound by that one golden thread, which is the desire to learn, the desire to be curious, the desire to prepare for the future of work. 
And to me, it's all about the power of youth and ensuring that we're not getting to the point where employers and recruiters are saying, you know, where's the talent? We don't have anyone to hire, but rather we're introducing industry right now at the early stages where we can bring industry leaders as our teachers into the classroom, helping mm -hmm. us from the age of, you know, 10, whatever age it is that people first find that initial interest in academic study or just a naturally curious like I, little Lella was at eight and really seeing, you know, what can we do to uplift that talent and really create an inclusive learning environment for everyone to thrive and prepare for the future of work. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. It was really interesting learning about your journey and how you started off. You started off at 11 with a, at a hackathon. And I think it's funny that you said that many people thought you were like the child of one of the participants and you ended up winning the whole thing. And it just goes to show that you can't, you really definitely shouldn't underestimate like young people. So I think that's like a textbook example of that, that mm. statement. And I guess you sort of answered my next question, which was about what's really ignited your work. And from what you said, it was really about like, ensuring those, there's equal access to digital transformation, ensuring that you can close the digital divide, um, empowering young people so that they can be at decision-making levels and they can lead change. And I think that your story is really amazing and I'm sure it's, in, it's inspiring someone that's listening in right now. But I know that like you started off at a really young age, at 11. You've you've done this work for a while now, for a few years now, and I believe you're 18 right now, as you said. So you've definitely seen a lot, you've definitely experienced a lot, and you've definitely learned a lot as well. But what would you say is your has been your like biggest setback? We really don't use the word word failure on this podcast. If anyone has listened to our past episodes, they know that right now. And we don't really see anything as failure, but we see it as a learning experience. So what would you say has been your biggest learning experience or setback as a young change maker and how were you able to solve it or handle it or or get back up from that situation? I'm so pleased you've asked this question and I'm so pleased that you prefaced it with the point of we don't see failure here because that is so me like people might think it's toxically positive but I totally agree with you like <laughs> we need to stop looking at things as failures and instead think how can it enable us to grow and learn from that and do better next time. For me, there are two things. First of all, I think personally, I've always been told by my parents, regardless of, you know, whether it's rude to some people or not, when mm -hmm. it comes to seeking opportunities that you really want, if you don't ask, you won't get. There are millions of young people yes. around the world. And if we don't speak up and ask for what it is we're looking for, be that reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, like I did you, Zulu, asking you to be on my podcast, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. It, it can be one small thing like that, or it can be to another person, something huge. I've got a project. I want to pitch it to you. Can I? Like there, there there's a whole range of different things. It's ha it's just that asking because the worst thing that someone can say is no. And I know for me, for a fact, I'd rather be told no to my face rather than speculate as to what someone might say back to me. So I think it's always, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I always have to remind myself of that because I get to points where I'm like, you know, why aren't, am I not 
like progressing in the way I want or why are things slower than I expect and it always is because I'm not asking enough so <laughs> I'd probably say that that's the one setback that I perhaps have and even though I know it I've been raised being told that I think it's important that I just constantly make sure that I practice what I preach I'd also say, um, and I know I spoke about it briefly in that initial question, but for me, you know, the adversity that COVID presented for for me, for my generation, um, for thousands of people around the world, while I positively, you know, while I personally was not impacted personally by, you know, some of the, I wasn't as badly impacted as others in terms of you know, family death, or I wasn't so close to the virus itself, despite having it four times. So maybe I have well, been a bit close to, to COVID now. Um, well, but I think that, you know, it, it, it taught me so much about resilience. It taught me so much about we don't need a five-year plan. Instead, it's thinking about day by day. I always say, <laughs> you know, yesterday, you said tomorrow, I'll do something. So what are you going to do today? So future you doesn't get annoyed. I think it is that idea of it almost took and it shouldn't have taken, but it did take that moment of global pause for us all to stop, to reflect and to realize what we could do better and the, the number of people that we're failing, especially <laughs> when it comes to that digital transformation. I've I, a volunteer that I work with, and it always makes people laugh, but I, I hope you'll get the, the message. They always say it's not until the tide comes out that you realize who's swimming without the underwear. Basically <laughs> saying that we can all be swimming in the same sea, but it's not until the tide drastically goes out that we then realize who's actually worse off in this situation. And mm -hmm. I think that was definitely the case when it comes to digital, especially in COVID, because we had people floating around, if you like, swimming in the digital transformation and this digital world, but they weren't connected. And no one was realizing just how bad that digital divide and disconnect was, be that, you know, connectivity, having a device or even the digital skills. It took that global moment where everything rapidly moved to the online world for us to realize that there is such a huge problem and COVID only worsened that. So yeah, for me, going back to your question, I'd say that that was such a huge setback. But for me, I channeled and I still do. And I will talk about more examples as we go on. But I channel that anxiety, that uncertainty, that kind of unrest into something positive, I'd say, or something that won't just help myself, but will help other people get through this. As there's nothing greater than the intergenerational solidarity of us all coming together for a greater good, fighting for a better tomorrow. All solid points. And I love your first point on asking because, and this is something, I think maybe all parents say this because my mom says this as well. <laughs> she always says that like, you know, won't kill you. So why not ask? I mean, the thought of not asking and wondering if you could have gotten something is much worse than asking and and being told no i mean you can cry for a bit and then move on but just that that looming thought that oh, okay like i don't even know if i had a chance to get this will eat you up more than getting a no so thank you very much for saying that i think that that's such a solid point and an important point and it calls all young people to actually apply themselves and just try honestly
just try. <laughs> but moving on from your biggest setback, you have received so many recognitions and so many accolades. You're like, as you said, you won a hackathon when you were 11. You're a Diana Award winner, or rather a Diana Award recipient. You are the Young Star of the Women of the Future Awards. You have honestly achieved a lot at a young age. But is there one particular event or one specific recognition that like maybe when you got it you were like okay i think i think i've done a really good job like what what is your biggest success you know that's such a, a, a you know a question where i think people expect me to point to those awards which you've just shared but mm -hmm. for me i think my my greatest success has really been that idea of overcoming that adversity and building better at a time where the future just seems so uncertain because of covid and mm -hmm. you know especially the disproportionate impact it had on my generation i really do see that 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 force for change that we nurtured in the work that i did with ibm and with now youth inclusion charities that to me is the greatest success it's not about the numbers it's not about the award it's about the individual yeah. stories and the people i hear from increasingly so who turn to me and say you know lala this event has really inspired me to go out and gain that digital credential or lala i was really looking for a mentor and thanks to you i i now know how to go about that because before i was holding myself to too high standards or i was i, I had misconceptions around whatever it is i'm discussing means so i think for me it's hearing that individual success and hearing mm -hmm. the impact my work has had on individual groups and my generation more broadly that inspires me and drives me to do more the most if i had to point to a particular example as you asked me to i'd probably say the work that i did for um call for code beirut so Beirut is the capital city of Lebanon, where my father is from. So I have family living there and I have quite a close affinity and, you know, cultural ties to the country. And on um, in August 2020, there was this catastrophic port blast, um, an explosion. No one expected it, obviously. You know, it was something that really shook a country who were already going through political, economic, social, humanitarian crises. And this only furthered the 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 burden the lived experience that they were already facing so we'll talk about it more again i'm sure but the notion of tech for good and what that means to me in the past it was broad it was looking at how we can use tech to help fight the pandemic and to work towards the global goals and ensure that we're not regressing on the un sustainable development goals while facing the kind of unprecedented times that COVID brought about. But this was really my opportunity and the chance for me to sit back and think, wow, I have been able to apply that passion and that interest I have in the space of tech for good and really use that to support my community and seeing the development of this platform by the local people for the <laughs> local people and with the local people as um, kind of reflected in working with the non-profit um, non-governmental organizations on the grassroots who were on the ground already trying to respond 
to you know humanitarian aid and the aftermath of that explosion that was really a time where i thought you know this does fully define tech for good and it defines my impact and to me this means more than perhaps anything i'd worked on that was just something so close to my heart and again as i said earlier that's such a common theme for me to not sit back and grumble and be upset but look at how i can channel that emotion into something positive impactful and be led by the, the those impacted most by it and that was just such a humbling experience to be a part of and to really understand the the, the challenges they face and to kind of look beyond the western lens and really understand and empathize with the people of Beirut at that time um, was something so powerful and an experience I'll never forget. Oh, thank you, Lala. It was really interesting hearing about about like what you define as your biggest success because I think as young people, like it or not, awards are nice and we there's there's a chance that we can sometimes be driven by just gaining like awards or recognition. But I like how you said that the impact that you've made on individuals is what is really important to you and i hope that that's something that other young change makers can keep in mind and they can look at if their work is actually impacting people and if even if it's just one person you know that you've maybe changed someone's mind about something or taught someone something new and things like that so i think that that's that's amazing to hear and i also loved another point that you you said you said you look at your feelings and your emotions and think of how you can channel that to create impact and that's also another really important thing because i know many young people who work in the impact social impact area i've spoken to a lot of young people and i'm blessed to have them as as friends as acquaintances but i'm surrounded by a lot of young people and most of their stories also stem from the fact that they saw something and they were upset about it but they didn't think oh someone else would do it or oh they didn't complain about it, but they thought, what can I do? And it doesn't have to be this huge initiative where you rally like a billion people. It could be your small act of thinking, okay, what can I do to change this? And honestly, small acts create like a ripple effect. So yeah, thank you so much for telling us about that. And I'm glad that you brought up tech for good because I think we could segue into my next question, which is about your work for tech for good or work in Tech for Good. Um, and if you could just tell us a bit for like listeners who might not really know what Tech for Good is, just tell us a bit about it and then about your work in that area, that would be great. Yeah, so Tech for Good is a funny one. I stumbled upon it when, again, I was 16. I was at the point of making a very big decision that would impact the next two years of my academic career and arguably my university study and then my career. Um, so. I was at the point where I had to choose the three subjects that I wanted to study um, at A-level, so post-16 here in the UK, and I didn't know whether to go with my heart and study the subjects that fulfilled my purpose, my passion, which are humanities, so, you know, the subjects of history, geography, politics, yeah. or whether I should go and pursue computer science. And with computer science, you have to study maths and you have to study physics and you know, there's like a lot of subjects that are kind of packaged together. And if you want to do them right, arguably, according to our education system, at least. And again, because of COVID, it, got, it gave me the opportunity to step back, remove myself from these systems and remove myself from the day to day 
and I met a mentor, Melissa Sassy, who, again, we're working on a project together, which I'm sure we'll allude to. And I heard her speak about her journey at IBM and how she'd never programmed a line of code in her life, but she had the job title of developer advocate. And when I was at school and I was thinking about my coding skills and I was thinking about, you know, kind of where to go next and whether I'm still good at what I was doing, I was at this real moment thinking like, you know, who really am I academically speaking? And I led with my heart and I studied and chose to study and completed my studies in English literature, history and politics. And it was those subjects which meant the most to me. And despite feeling I closed off doors by choosing those subjects rather than the computer science ones and relating subjects, it was my mentor who showed me and opened the door to tech for good, the ability to do good using technology and not just think about the cost in dollars, in pounds and whatever currency, but also think about the cost on sustainability, on the environment, on equitable access in the world's economy on the digital transformation and on day-to-day people the people who weren't represented on the board tables and were making the big decisions but arguably would be disproportionately impacted by those decisions being made by the fortunate few so together we worked on a whole host of events um movements community gatherings and you know chances not just to meet industry leaders but also to meet like-minded peers from all around the world all walks of life all stages of their professional roadmap should you please and that was just again you know we had the chance to work on a hackathon called code the curve And this hackathon was a a global event in response to the pandemic where we thought about greater solutions to um, achieve some of the, well, address some of the problems we face. So not just the healthcare element of COVID, but also the community element. How do we stay connected? And also we focused on the healthcare piece, but also the community piece, the education piece, and all of the other aspects of our daily life, which COVID really made us stop and totally adapt to. That was in partnership with UNESCO. So the UN's Department for Education, Science and Culture, as well as SAP and we got featured in Forbes and UN News for our pioneering work in the space. Winners landed internships, mentoring um, and really access to cutting edge technology that was on offer and you know we have the now UN Secretary General of the ITU which is the tech branch of the UN all working with us to think of this greater good, how to be youth-led and how to really respond to this challenge that COVID presented with us all. And that was probably the first event which really kick-started that adventure into tech for good that I'm now on. Yeah, it was just the chance to think. And as my mentor always says, how can I be an and, so a humanitarian and a technologist, or having to choose between the two? Because while the curriculum was making me choose that, you can see now I've come out with those A-levels in that space, but I'm still working at IBM and I still intend to go and study politics and international relations but then I still intend to influence tech policy and our relationship with tech because they're so interconnected we can't just see subjects in isolation anymore and that's why for me tech for good is such an important space not just because it fulfills my purpose and passion but I think that lessons learned and things I've shared can be easily translated when you look at the art space you know creative computers when it comes to music so I'm a chorister I sing in a choir 
and during COVID having the chance to sing in virtual choirs with some of the world's best composers, tech is such a great tool to promote togetherness. While often it seems like a matter of profit or loss and we're each in it for capitalistic self-interest, instead it can be such a great unifier and not only did we create these solutions for those who were digitally literate and who were unable to access the online world, but we looked at who we could work with at the grassroots again to help ensure that this reaches the people who lack access to technology or historically didn't have the opportunities in the tech industry that I've benefited from. So Tech for Good has been such a blessing to discover and I hope that people start to see technology as a catalyst to achieve whatever their passion and interest may be as opposed to seeing it in isolation and thinking I'm not technical, I can't code so I can't work in tech. Anyone can yeah. do that. Everyone is a technologist and we're all just growing up in this digital by default era. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I, I loved your explanation of Tech for Good. And, you know, I feel like recently, and of course with COVID, Tech for Good had become sort of a buzzword. So it's interesting to hear like your thoughts on Tech for Good and what it means. And I definitely have to point out what you said about how your mentor mentioned that you you, you can either be an, an and, I hope I'm getting it right, you can either be an and or an or. And I think that that is such a good quote. And, you know, I, I studied law in university. I've, my career journey has been very odd. <laughs> At first, I wanted to study film and then my uncle always said I'd be a good lawyer. So that's really one of the reasons why I applied to, to like university to study law. And then I went to law school and I'm actually i'm a lawyer you know i i've gone i've been called to bar and all of that i didn't go the route that people expected because i ended up going after my university and my law school i ended up working with a small ngo and now i work with like a larger philanthropic organization but i think often as young people i think it's better now but i know that when like my mom was growing up it was either or you could never be an and as you said so i i love that like young people like you and me and Cole are saying that they could be more than just one thing and I love how you spoke about your tech background and how you want to do good in tech but you also want to study international relations and you have other interests you you love singing and I think that it's really important to show young people that they can be more than one thing they can have more than one surface and more than one path and they can make impact all these areas so yeah thank you so much but moving on to my next question I was also always going to ask you about your work as an I will ambassador or is it a hashtag I will ambassador but I see that you spoke about working with digital inclusion charities and STEMETs but could you speak more about that about how you were even chosen to be an, uh, an I will ambassador and what your work involved or involves since you're still in that position. Yeah, so the IWAL movement is like <laughs> a UK-wide movement, as the title suggests, of young change makers um, within the UK who are each so passionate about such different areas of social impact. So I actually became an ambassador in 2021 and mm -hmm. my kind of kickoff call was virtual, but this year I actually got to go to our residential as a lead ambassador to welcome our new cohort into the movement and share with them my journey with I Will thus far and also you know help them really think about how they can 
use the I Will movement as a powerhouse to help them really accelerate their campaigns. And what I loved so much was, I think this, so my journey has been so different because of COVID. Being digital meant that I could reach new heights globally and far. Mm -hmm. I gained a platform very quickly um, with a corporate organization backing it and my my success has been very much accelerated by that however my sister and brother for example work at a grassroots level working within community groups they lead our youth council in my area and they work with our police our healthcare system our um, fire and emergency services and like learning from ambassadors who are on that similar path in their hometowns, if you like, and making that difference locally while thinking globally has been such an inspiring movement to be a part of. Because even though you might look at my work and think, you know, what can she learn from something which is so focused on that community level, that getting started, that kind of where do we go from here piece, actually being a part of the movement, I found that despite having contrasting journeys to others they are very all very much complementary in that sense so it's just been such an incredible movement to be a part of as always if you don't ask you don't get and i within i will have launched a podcast which i've titled conversations for change after that presidential we were all sat around the fireplace um on this kind of weekend away introducing the new ambassadors into the movement and i just remember being so inspired hearing people just speak naturally about their interests about what drives them about their frustrations with the world and that aspirations and visions for a greater tomorrow so the podcast transpired from that because i think that too often we see change maker or we see these titles with such a huge burden behind them but actually we can all make a difference regardless of what shape or size by just having those conversations for change so that's been something i've been so excited to have launched late last year um in celebration of i will week which is an annual kind of spotlight on the movement and our success and our work and our progress and visions for the future um, so that was again just an example of you know just being so inspired by those individual stories and lived experience and thinking how can we share this forward with others and encourage people to spark their own conversations for change because as i said we're all technologists but we are also all change makers it's just one of those things where society kind of relies upon us to give ourselves a title to fit into a box and actually i believe that we all have those frustrations and things we'd like to see changed in the world and those that are change makers are the ones that think how can I play my part in this? How can I make a difference? Be that writing to your MP or be that leading a national campaign. We can all make a difference in that way. Mm, I love I love everything you said. <laughs> and I, I loved how you spoke about your work as an IOL ambassador. It's definitely interesting to hear like some of the work that you did, even after your cohort was done and like working with a new cohort. But they're just like a few things that you said that were very interesting to me. And I think I could take it back to like my story a bit. And I I think my, my development journey that I when I was 15 or 16. And it was during the Ebola pandemic or a bit a little bit after the Ebola pandemic and things had died down. You know, it wasn't as present in Nigeria, but a lot of people were still like unaware of how they should keep themselves safe. And beyond keeping themselves safe, there was also 
a question of if people could even afford the things that could keep them safe. So even if they got the knowledge and thought, okay, I need to wash my hands, I need to have my ha my hand sanitizer. Could these people even afford hand sanitizers? So I, at a young age, I wrote to GSK and we were able to get donations of sanitizer, of soap, and we donated that. And that honestly was just me thinking, oh, okay, I might have the means to keep myself safe, to get resources that could protect my family and all of that, but other people might not. And I think that's where like my chain journey started. And after, after like that year, when I got into university, I really didn't do as much in the change space, apart from one um, book drive we did where we got books for a girls club in Makoko. But I found that after I was done with that phase and I got into university, I didn't really have any guidance, so I didn't know what else I could do to help my communities, but I just did little things. I would volunteer. I was a part of my friend's non-profit executive board, stuff like that. Nothing huge. And which is why I love that you started like a podcast with Iowa Ambassador, as an Iowa Ambassador rather, and you were able to speak to these young people to show that, as you said, quote unquote, quote and unquote, we are all change makers. And again, it sort of connects to the work we're doing with Career now, where we publish articles on global issues and show people how they can create change and solve those issues. But we also speak to young people like you and show your journeys and show how people can take up those same journeys, the same paths that you've taken and other young people have taken and also highlighting the work that young people are doing because young people are doing amazing things and have so much capacity to change honestly the commu their communities countries the world but that was a really long <laughs> long story i told but i was basically trying to say that i think what you said about how each and every one of us is a change maker beyond each and every one of us being a technologist and every one of us is a change maker. It could be something as simple as signing a petition and speaking to people and educating people on an issue that is present in your community or even in another country. So yes, thank you so much for, for pointing out the fact that we are all change makers and we can all make a difference. And I guess since you mentioned the podcast, I can ask my next question. And I know like, again, before we started recording, you spoke about like how you have a lot of projects coming up, which I'm really excited to see, but I know of one and I would love to hear more about it. And I'm sure more other people would love to hear more about it. If you're willing to speak about your new podcast, uh, could you just tell us a bit more about it? What it's going to be about when it's coming out? Yeah. So I think really reflecting on my year last year, as much as I had many successes, something which was partially lacking in some ways was beyond like the I will movement and beyond the day-to-day -day interaction that I have with such inspiring young people I wish I was doing more to really look at how we could continue to showcase those unheard voices um, you know, looking up at the start of the year at the decisions being made at Davos, the World Economic Forum, and a bit earlier from there at the COP26 um, annual gathering, there were so many questions being raised about the role of youth. While there was a booming kind of youth presence at COP last year, I feel like yeah. we can do so much more to promote the the real stories of real impact. And that's where my my mentor and I, um, Melissa and Lella, so Mel and Lel, we've called it, we've created a podcast called Sto Mel and Lel Stories of Social Impact. And what we're intending to do is over the next year, we want to showcase 68 stories of social action 
Why 68? Because there are 17 sustainable development goals set out by the United Nations. And we feel that we shouldn't just have the voices of those standing loud and proud and making those decisions in the decision-making chambers, but rather we should look at expanding that out to include young change makers like ourselves, um, as well as founders practitioners so people who've been in the industry who have got their hands dirty and are really in the trenches fighting for achieving and really meeting those goals and also then your public official your UN secretary general your government official whatever it might be so they're the four kind of complementary yet contrasting voices we're seeking to spotlight 15 minute episodes very short very engaging very casual so we can really break down these egos and these silos that these topics often have i feel there's often yeah the need that you have to include all the fancy words and speak a certain way and have x years of experience but rather we really want to hear about why people are so passionate and driven to work towards and commit and what wakes them up in the morning arguably what really motivates them to do good not just for themselves in order to progress professionally but also to ensure we're uplifting those underserved and underrepresented groups so we're in the process of securing all of our 68 speakers for the year um every day we're getting more and more interest of not just speakers but you know community groups and individuals who are keen to support our work so that's just something so exciting that's coming about i'm not putting you know like a deadline on it it's a passion project entirely but it's something i feel is really necessary we have far too many conversations conversations about those you know who are facing these global goal challenges and we're talking about how we need to achieve that as a whole world but I feel like the voices that are heard are by no means representative of the global challenges faced so we're really trying to put that real and human first kind of lens to it beyond the egos and silos that the kind of sustainable agenda often has connotations of um I'm very excited to listen Me too. to <laughs> Yeah, like I, I can't wait. And I love, I think my favorite aspect of your podcast is the fact that you're going to be speaking to, I think it's four different people yeah. concerning like one SDG. So it's definitely going to be interesting to hear the different viewpoints, the different experiences of these four people from like a youth standpoint and seeing like maybe the obstacles they've had to face and how they've been able to like create impact in their space with their limited resources, but also from like the UN workers point of view where they might have access to all these resources and all these contacts and they, they still face obstacles. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm very excited. <laughs> but, okay, like, yeah. That's good to hear. You're the first, like the people I've reached out to as speakers and then a, a few people in my kind of thrive hive, my close circle are the ones yeah. who've kind of heard the messy scribbles of ideas that I have. And I think it's slowly coming into fruition and this month I'm really hopeful to make great headway and um, start to really get this off the ground and get it moving because, yeah, it, it's so exciting. Yeah, it is. And this is a very random question, <laughs> but are you going to be bringing out the episodes according to the SDGs? Yeah, I think that's what we intend to do is bring them out in like chunks of four. And eventually get to number 17 by the end of the year very cool that sounds subject to change <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course of course but like yeah it's very exciting and i hope people keep keep their eyes peeled for that so yes. i can't wait to listen in and just learn and hear 
people's different perspectives and yeah <laughs> but like i love like the podcast came from your view and your thoughts that okay this is something that's not out there that you want to as you said break the silos and look at humans who are actually yeah. working towards the achievement of this goal and i think like it's it's sort of been a theme around all the work you've done where you mm -hmm. see a problem and you try to fix it or you try to to change the issues and solve these issues and you have created a number of initiatives one-offs and long-running initiatives addressing yep. issues that are not just like in your community but even globally as you said in beirut and in other countries how like have you been able to create these ideas which change like people's lives you know it's it's very difficult sometimes to create a project and i know i've been there before i started career i had the idea for career for like a year and then i paid for the domain name opened an instagram page and didn't start till like six months later and it was just me trying to make sure that like okay this concept actually made sense and actually made a difference and i wasn't wasting the volunteers time but also my time by doing this mm -hmm. but what has what is like your um the journey you take when you are creating these initiatives and ensuring that they actually change individuals lives or thoughts or views and things like that? you know what i wish i could say oh i go into my you know like i've got this big study <laughs> where i scheme out these ideas and it's something really grand and heroic but really <laughs> when you look at my best ideas they either come to me on a dog walk they come to me like mel and lal did on a facetime call or they come to me like the I Will podcast did when I was sat around a fire and I literally WhatsApped Uzi, who is my podcast co-host, who is such a passionate and driven individual like me and also very much a chatterbox and i knew he too could speak for england alongside me so i always think about the problem the solution and the longevity and impact it can have and i think that last piece is arguably the most important because when you look at sensitive issues like beirut when you look at covid and the impact it was having on the individual life no one could escape it and i didn't want to just be led by oh i think this would be great it would work for me but rather i wanted to be led by those who were the closest to the problems because i think i said it earlier but those closest to the problems are always closest to the solutions and that's why i'm so passionate about and love design thinking as a concept for coming up with ideas it's basically the process of getting Sharpies and getting post-its and breaking an idea apart. Instead of thinking big and thinking about what's the one solution that can change it, you instead think about the joys. So what makes the end user happy, the aspirations, yeah. what they want to see more of, but also the hills, so the bumps in the road, and then the pain points, the things that are currently a challenge for them. And all the things that they face when you can kind of create a persona create a, a user and keep them in mind and be informed by that to me that's the most important thing when it comes to thinking of these ideas and then it takes incredible people to make incredible things happen and i'm so lucky that i've really had this ripple effect where you know it's either been people who have become mentors of mine who have got incredible networks of their own who have taken my social action and interest to new heights or it's been as we mentioned earlier people i've just cold messaged and welcomed into my network and pulled them into an idea but also those hackathon scenarios those opportunities for collaboration opportunities for togetherness to rip things apart and think of new ideas 
I'd say that that's it. And ultimately, I am impact driven and future focused in that way that I want to ensure it has an impact and also that it's yeah driven to what's next what where do we go from here how will this opportunity provide a stepping stone for our end users growth and progression and support their daily life i think that that's the most important thing treating it as an individual like how am i going to help future lella or how am i going to help the future young person like i think that that's so important beyond anything i don't sit and write a grand scheme of what works for me but rather yeah. i'm so keen to come together and promote collaboration and blue sky thinking where we think without limits together to come up with some of our best ideas but no as i say the big the best ideas come to me when i've left my desk and i'm doing whatever else like even sometimes at night i have to leave like a notebook or something by my bed because i come up with ideas for things that mm -hmm. i need to remember when i'm actually back in my working day so yeah it, it ebbs and flows in terms of my creativity and the ideas i come up with i think about it one day at a time and some things as you say are one-off they're 24-hour events they're big thing like big whilst they happen and they are recognized as you know case studies and things to take note of when they occurred but then others like the beirut program has you know been supported by a non-governmental organization an ngo we've got them continuing the legacy of the platform we built and it's also being used in you know looking at the turkey and syria earthquake how can we apply the tech that we created there and help these new earthquake victims so it's about yeah that that ripple effect that constant evergreen nature of ideas and solutions and projects what can we do to ensure we're not just innovating for an award or for uh, to tick a box of our job title or to meet a diversity quota but rather whatever we're doing is driven by real impacts and has true meaning behind it yeah i i'm i'm really i really like your viewpoint on that and i think a few months ago i was reading more about social impact evaluation and just learning more about it and i totally agree with you about how you need to look at the people that are being affected by either the problem or the solution that you're bringing so it's it's not just you saying, oh, this would be a cool idea. It's you going down to the roots and thinking, does this have a long-term effect? Will this actually impact people? Like, what change can this bring? Will this be a burden or will this actually help people? And I think that that's very important for young chain makers to note that it's not just doing something for doing sake. If you're going to do a webinar, how is this webinar going to help? That's right. And, it's, and it, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be like a large number of people. It could be like a small community but you you don't just want to do something for the sake of doing it you need to make sure that like people are gaining from every impact project that you're doing and, and especially with technology you can't yeah. just say and our government did it at the time of the pandemic we they just handed out laptops the laptops mm. they handed out side note didn't have the right software to run microsoft teams which the students were using to access online schooling and also mm. students didn't have wi-fi they didn't have the basic digital literacy and skills that they needed in order to be able to use the device that they were given the government thought that by providing them with the device that's it we've solved the problem they can go to school we all live happily ever after but it isn't that simple and i think that if you if the government the people in power the people making these decisions really listen 
into the lived experience of those at the brunt of the digital divide and facing this transition to the online world being completely accelerated by the pandemic, they would have realized how much more there was to the the problem, arguably. And and that 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 I think is the 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 perfect example of it because we can't just tick the box hand the device that be done but rather we have to look at what we can do to ensure that we are providing that legacy providing that long-term plan ensuring that yeah it's not just handed to them but it's, and we're not just hearing their voices but rather we're including their voices i think that that's a, a huge piece as well and is so profound in tech yeah and beyond tech even in, in every area of development or sustainability or impact it's definitely as you said important to look at the lived experiences of the beneficiaries of your work that that's that's really important and thing about and you know it's funny because you say that in your case the government had handed out laptops and these tools but had not really educated people on digital inclusion Me meanwhile in many african countries what i've noticed from my end is that digital literacy is thought but many people don't have the tools to apply this digital literacy or continue continue their education on, on digital tools but it's 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 just funny to see like the, the difference between both both sides <laughs> but yeah I think this question I I, I don't think I've I th I've always asked like every guest on the podcast and I think it's it's brought out like a lot of of different like it every time I ask this question usually uh, I hope it's the same um, experience for you many of our guests always say that it really gave them a chance to really think back on like the work they've done and how far they've got so I'd like to ask like what advice do you wish you had maybe given yourself when you were younger uh, like do you wish what what thing do you wish you had known before you started your impact journey and what thing would you maybe not necessarily change like would you do a bit differently or would you just tell yourself if you could go back to the past mm -hmm. i think it's got to be and i always say it to people i mentor and in my talks the importance of just being brave and not perfect and as we've already said it's about being unapologetically you because no one else can be you no one and we don't need to have all the skills like i'll put my hand up and say that Area within IBM that I'm working in at the moment I'm not the most technically competent in like I know how to code and I could work I've got some great proficiency in other aspects of the business but within my current area like I, I really do rely upon the work of the developer advocates the work of our student ambassadors who are so technically enabled and driven by the work that I'm now advocating for and expanding access to so I think that's it it's about leading with what you do best and being open to collaboration and teamwork and working with others and coming up with solutions collaboratively that I think is so important and especially as women there's this real need to be I think perfectionism is quite innate amongst us in the sense that boys I've seen it in coding camps boys are the ones who'll break things and they're trial and error and they don't mind you know being kind of messy with what it is they're working on while for us girls we hold ourselves to high standards I don't know if this is a generalization but I I, I definitely have seen a difference where yeah. us girls we want to have it perfect immediately we we don't allow ourselves to play around as much we get frustrated if we find things don't work and i think for younger lella it was this idea of how can i break through that be brave and not perfect and play by my strengths i think we need to do more of that because 
there's such great power in having teams who are made up of humanitarians, who are made up of hackers and technical people, who are made up of the hustlers, like the business-minded people, and also then those hipsters. I always talk about the four H's of a team, hipsters being the artsy ones. By having that four H's and being cognitively diverse and accepting those rebel ideas and that creative thinking process as individuals, I think that the best ideas come about. So instead of thinking I have to be a know-it-all and master it all myself, it's instead, you know, what can we do to expand and welcome the ideas of others and yeah, collaborate together. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love like be be brave not perfect. That's that's a lovely like quote. You know, it's like one of those things that like like you could hang on a wall and look at like just to remind yourself. Just to... <laughs> that's what people normally say. They say honestly, some of the things you say, Lala, I want to make like a T-shirt with that on. <laughs> Maybe yes. I should start another business. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I mean, I'll be your your first customer, and I I guess like we we use it for like the next. We could segue into the next question because a bit of background, you know when I was younger when I was in secondary school uh, I think at, at that point I had sort of known that okay I would probably study law and I spoke about this on my LinkedIn and I think like LinkedIn is like one of the only places I'm really active <laughs> I spoke about it on my LinkedIn about how we were going around the class and each person in class was speaking about like what they wanted to study or I guess quote-unquote be when they grew up and it got to my turn and I got up and I said I wanted to be a lawyer and I, this is coming from me who was a relatively shy child my mom likes to say that I wasn't shy that I was reserved <laughs> and I would observe a lot but I, I think I was a bit shy I didn't really speak out my voice wasn't the loudest in the room I would only speak when spoken to and stuff like that and I remember getting up and she said you can't even like speak in class so how do you think you're going to be a lawyer and that's one of really the motivations it's not the main motivation of course but it's one of the things that really pushed me to go to school and study law and, and pass and become like a barrister and a solicitor and all of that and one of the things I did while I was in university was build up on my public speaking skills and at first I was very reluctant to do it but I remember I had a few friends I was part of the mooting society in my faculty and the president of the Mooting Society then used to like always call me out to speak in front of like 50 or so people and they just give like a topic off the top of their head and oh my gosh it's like thinking about it now I'm having like anxiety but I think it really helped me to build my confidence and I guess like that takes me to my question on what you think has like built your capacity or your confidence in public speaking and and like do you have any tips for young people and beyond public speaking I also know from speaking to you even through LinkedIn and in person like not in person but <laughs> online like for the first time right now I also see that you you're very knowledgeable and I don't know I guess I, I'd like to know how you've built that knowledge if you have any tips for young people who want to build their capacity in public speaking but who also want to be more knowledgeable you know what annoyingly i think it's like riding a bike for me in the sense that when you get started you have like your parents there to support you you have the stabilizers in that way yeah. you have kind of like a, a no judgment zone and you start learning to ride a bike so young that as you grow older and you just hop on your bike to commute, you don't even think about where you started. 
And I think for me, I, you know, it's similar to you. I was in debating society. I was doing these presentations that I was making as I developed my tech skills. I was pitching at hackathons and speaking out. And from, from very, very young, I was always the chatterbox in class. You can read my school reports. So I think that like, it was something which was so innate within me and part of my personality that I never even labeled it as public speaking or I never even saw it as something that was different. Similar to my coding background, I never saw myself as different until I was put in that classroom environment comparing myself to others. And it's not all been plain sailing. Like during the pandemic, it brought the additional challenges of digital and um, struggling to connect with people across time zones or using different tools and solutions. So I think for me, it was this discovery of how to just come across in the most relatable way. And that was what my work was so focused on. It was making sure that industry leaders were speaking with us instead of speaking down at us. And I just think that that's so important because otherwise we We've just got, I don't know where I'm going with this. Let me retake that last bit. I think that, yeah, for me, my public speaking, I'm just so passionate about the topics I'm speaking on and the people I'm speaking with. And that for me informs that style. I'm curious, I'm excited, I'm energized by the people I surround myself with and interview through my work. And I think that, yeah, I just treat everyone as like having a conversation with a friend. And I, I don't put a label on it or I don't think about the thousands tuning in all around the world. I think about me, my guests, or in my or when I'm the guest speaker even, I think about the people around me the people in the audience um having been in that seat in the audience front row i know what it is i want to hear as a young person and i lead with that as with all things yeah and i love how you said it's almost like you're speaking to a friend and i think that's something that i used to help myself when i was speaking in public just like focus on that person that you know in the audience or even if you don't know that person, just try to like form like a personal connection with the, with the audience and yeah, just speak <laughs> and speak about what you think that the audience would like to hear yeah. as well. Of course, and not, not that to, to everything, be that a conversation, like doing a presentation in the classroom or be that something as grand as when I got to address the United Nations General Assembly last year, like regardless of the speaker engagement, it's how can I be unapologetically me, bring my strengths my story and my kind of that is your superpower that lived experience that's why i've been invited to speak i'm not comparing myself to other people i'm not comparing my years of experience and whatever it might be to the delegates and whoever it might be around me I, i've come as me and that's what i need to lead with that is my my greatest strength yeah hashtag brave not perfect i love that <laughs> yeah i i think that that's that's very interesting to, to note so we've spoken about about your background we've spoken about your work um and you've you've done so much and I, I i honestly find it really interesting like learning about how people balance their time um all for like product production but like procrastination creeps in once in a while <laughs> but like two questions first off what does your routine as like a founder and a change maker look like and then secondly, how have you been able to like balance your time as a change maker with your other activities? And yeah, those are my two. Yeah, I think this again is something that I'm forever learning, adapting 
and taking note of other people you know i might my, my the peak of my activism was at the height of my a-level exams and you know i was people always say like i was addressing the united nations at a lunchtime and then going back to class to learn about the united nations or to learn about the theory of politics in a way yeah. so yeah for me i've always had this and not an or thing where i was a student and i was leading all of these global initiatives and i think yeah for me it, everyone says it it's so cheesy but you make time for what you love and i think with that with that passion and with that drive of mine in order to cram everything also came those organizational skills i kind of needed to keep on top of everything and i'm still ever evolving my systems and looking at like how better i can manage my time and i don't have again like a clear winning formula as to exactly how I do it but I think it is I just look at my time what I'm dedicating like my energy to and I, I reflect on how that's making me feel how productive I was what it gave me and it is about kind of being selfish with that in any way you can obviously some roles are more more limiting and I'm very privileged to have the position where my role is so tailored to my interests and my own kind of goals and objectives so yeah I, I don't have like a set routine it very much fluctuates I you know love to be outdoors and start my day like walking my dog or um you know really taking the time away from the screen I love reading I'm naturally curious I'm always upskilling beyond my work last year at IBM we have like this online learning platform and we're all meant to complete 40 hours of additional learning I went and completed 200 hours of additional learning and I reached wow. the top 1% of the whole company worldwide just to fuel that natural curiosity and hunger and eagerness of mine to keep learning. So I think for me, I'm so lucky that I am able to make time for what it is I love and what interests me and what fuels my passion and purpose. But yeah, in terms of my, my routines, I wish I could share with you like a 10 step guide as to what it is I do, but I do, I do what makes me happy. I find what feels good. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, impact work can be very draining. So as you said, I think it's very important to be able to step back and find and do what you love as well um yeah thank you thank you so much for for all the points that you've made and i think we're getting to like the tail end of the interview now but before we get to that point where you ask like the last five or so questions i think i would love to know more about how you got not not necessarily how you got the diana award but i think i just love to know more about like your experience getting that award applying and like the aftermath of it all now that you are like a past award winner yeah, so with the Diana Award, that's quite different in the sense that you don't um, know that you're be, you've been nominated for that award. It's and it's I think very much that's such an important part of its nature in the sense that it's designed for you not to work towards, but rather as a recognition of all that you have achieved. So my mentor Melissa nominated me for mine, and it just stood as a great moment more than anything for reflection to look back on what had been such anomalous times receiving this in 2021 and really feeling proud to have like found that positivity at that unjust time and the way that I just remained determined to continue that voluntary work campaigning for youth inclusion, equity of access in the digital first world and also you know looking up at Princess Diana herself continuing her legacy because she did while she was alive really ensuring that young people were supported to help them reach that full potential so i think more than anything that's what the award epitomized for me it was such a great moment to reflect on that time and 
looking at Diana as a source of inspiration. She meant so much to me, like looking back on the history books in that way, that she was unapologetically herself. She led from her heart and not from her head. She challenged the status quo and she was always pushing for that change in the pursuit of equity. And she used her kind of position of authority within the UK and global stage to be a positive influencer, all with expectation of no reward, very much like the Diana Award. You don't expect it. It's a reflection of what you've achieved. So I think that, you know, it's so important that we, that when you look at the modern monarchy, you know people are calling it like a, a soap opera at the moment like the 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 stories coming out from it but i feel like what diana really epitomized was the importance of keeping in touch with the people and i really do respect that wholeheartedly especially now when our relationship with the monarchy just seems so up in the air yeah and i think i love how you mentioned that she was always trying to stay connected to the people and you know it kind of goes back to what you said about how you try to make sure that the people that are being impacted by your work are connected to like the solution. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for that. And you also mentioned something about how she was able to challenge the status quo. So I'm going to switch up my question, my next question a bit. And how do you think young people can themselves challenge the status quo and create impact and make change in their communities? You know what, I, I, I was talking to Iwill today actually about what we can do this year to really continue to make our impact. Iwill is turning 10, um, so this is really our chance to look at the past 10 years and also set goals and aspirations for the next 10. So for me, I think it really does, it's about the hardest part is always getting started. And while you said we hold ourselves to the expectations and when we think of what it means to be a change maker, we think about leading global movements, leading campaigns, leading protests, whatever it may be. But instead, as I mentioned, it's those conversations for change. It's thinking globally, but acting locally to think about how individually we can all make our mark because a movement is only people moving. We can't just see it as this huge thing which just magically happens and it's all the people of the world uniting. But actually, it's all the people within the movement coming together as individuals and not realising they're a part of a wider something until someone labels it that. We're yeah. each fighting for what we stand for within our communities, in our hometowns, in our schools, classrooms, whatever it may be. And all together, we can drive for that greater good. You know, when it's in the UK, when it comes to how we can enact like political change and make that disruption in, the, in our political system, by each and every one of us taking the opportunity to write to like our member of parliament, one voice is then supported by five, is supported by 10. And next thing you know, we'll actually be making headway to change policy. There's a great campaign I'm part of, um, which is called Our Streets Now, and they're working to criminalise and make public sexual harassment an offence. And this started out by two sisters who were so frustrated seeing, you know, the implications that public sexual harassment was having on survivors of such incidents and they launched a campaign together calling for this legislative change to be enacted that then has evolved with people power into a schools movement so it's got an educational chapter to it and then i've been a part of more recently launching streetworthy which is a qr code based campaign in the form of stickers and postcards across communities where survivors of public sexual harassment or people wanting to understand and make themselves more aware of PSH 
um, have the chance to either report and gain that immediate support after an incident has occurred support so conversation starters how to support someone who's mm -hmm. been a survivor of such an incident and then also the empowerment piece how can i join the movement how can i make a difference who can i surround myself with online in terms of you know book recommendations or artists or social media pages to look to so i think that that has been such an incredible thing to be a part of again having the chance to shape something which i've experienced personally but then be connected with other people because we all have the same frustrations we all see the same difference that we want to see in the world but it's not until we come together and we think about what change we can really make that we that we realize that together we really can yeah and it's it's amazing to like hear hear more about like your thoughts on change specifically because i don't know if i mentioned this courier means change in my language and what we're really focused on as I'm sure you've you've heard throughout this interview, is showing people that their small actions can create a huge impact and that their small actions can create a ripple effect, which I think alludes to what you said earlier. I guess it, it brings me to my next question, which is, which I think you sort of answered, but I'll ask, what, what does change mean to you, Lela Halum? I think to me, and this is such a difficult one, you said you think the other one Everyone's was difficult said. about reflection, but with this one, I think it's even more hard. Everyone um, says I that think this as question. I alluded to earlier, like change to me is about that individual impact, whether you're the one in enacting the change or you're the one who feels the change i think that it calls for great togetherness it calls for thinking big beyond the systems which perhaps are oppressing that ability to feel that we have the power to make change and i think that there is with great change it largely is fueled by hope and optimism and also determination and drive for a greater future. So yeah, to me, I think, yeah, that's what change really epitomizes. It's the the sense of hoping for a greater good, but then also looking at how you can make your mark, how individually we can work towards that utopia that you may have in mind. How, yeah, together we can all, <laughs> we can all address those sustainable development goals, those big challenges, which you think, oh, what, how can I make such a big mark on mm -hmm. ending poverty? How can I end world hunger? But, you know, together by all thinking about what can I do in my community? What can I do today that's going to help me tomorrow, help my community tomorrow? And that that is change. It's the chance to, you know, be, be a part of something great. I think it's an ever evolving thing. I don't think it's like you have changed something past tense. I think it's mm -hmm. something always in the present, always growing and moving and evolving such a difficult one and i know that as soon as we stop recording i'll have thought of something better and more <laughs> to, to say but i think yeah change is one of those things which is so difficult to define because each and every individual's journey to social action is different and we all see the change but we should all be that change that we want to see yeah yeah and you know it reminds me of one of the past interviews we did where the the young person that we were speaking to said that she'd seen this problem and she'd always said you know someone needs to fix this not me but someone needs to fix this and she carried on like that for a few months just thinking oh why hasn't anyone done this yet so finally she was like okay i think i think i 
I'm the one that has to make this change and create this impact. So yeah, I I I don't think you need to worry about saying it in the most succinct way. I think you've 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 given like a perfect perfect definition, quote unquote, of what change means. You know, you said a few things: having hope, having being optimistic, having determination and drive, be willing to collaborate as well, which I think is something that can get lost sometimes, especially in this like impact world, especially amongst young people. Though I think this year I've been seeing that it's been a, definitely changed quite a bit in my circle anyway. But yeah, those are very important things that I think are sort of like winning, like w the winning formula for a young person. But beyond having hope, determination, optimism, drive, what else do you think is important for like a young person who wants to create change in their community, in their country, in the world? Yeah. That's <laughs> such a big question. I think that for me, um, change, the kind of winning formula doesn't exist. I think that ultimately, if you lead as yourself wholeheartedly by those purpose, that passion, the global goal or cluster of global goals that motivates you and whatever it is that matters to you i think ultimately the solutions will come about and that impact can also occur I, I, you know i i think it is just something which is like an ongoing process there never is an end point as we said change is never past tense it's always ongoing so for me i think it is that determination that resilience the grit and resilience and courage it takes to stand up for what you believe in and also kind of surrounding yourself by people that uplift and help share those similar interests as you do as together we can really accelerate that individual change and we can all make that difference together because we're stronger that way yeah totally agree and you know what you said is sort of similar to what everyone else has said they no one ever really thinks that there's a winning formula but what you said sort of is a winning formula it might be different for everyone, but there's like an aspect of everything you said in everyone's impact journey and impact story. So yeah, thank you so much for your insight into that. We're almost done. I think my, my next question, starting the last round of questions would be your future plans. Impact-wise, social impact-wise, we already know a bit of what you plan on doing, but if there's anything else that we really haven't spoken about, please feel free to speak about it. So what are your future plans impact-wise and also personally? Yeah, you know what? Um, I think COVID, one of the greatest lessons it taught me was this thing that, you know, it's often praised to have a five-year plan. But for me, I think that it's really impossible to to know what even tomorrow will look like setting a month apart if i look at my weeks the way that they quickly fill up and populate with so many different projects and opportunities like i can never think yeah that will be me in five years time i have that <laughs> overarching theme of doing good and i know what drives me the most that greater good and that idea of how can i not just uplift myself and accelerate and grow develop professionally personally and academically as an individual but rather how can i enable others to do that that is what drives me that is what wakes me up in the morning and i think that that is hopefully what i'll long continue to do i jump on so many different campaigns and so many youth-led opportunities as and when I feel they fit with my skill set. And as you say, it's not just me doing something for the CV, for a logo, whatever it might be, but rather it's something which I know I can add value to. And I'm really led by that. I'm conscious as to what it is I sign myself up to, not just for wasting my time, but also for that of all the collaborators involved. I think it's so important that we have that sense of awareness. So yeah, for me, I think it. I'm really 
excited about what the future holds. And I always seek that uncomfortable excitement where, yes, the future is not yet defined, but we know we're ongoing in the fourth digital revolution. We know mm -hmm. that tech is going to become more and more prevalent in the world. And we know that with that comes great inequity and great divide and great uncertainty for so many. And I hope that we don't just see new tech or new approaches to the world. We don't want to see them as innovative or radical or going to change the world unless they fully include each and every person on this planet. I think that that is so important and that is something I'll continue to champion. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I can't wait to see everything that you achieve. Um, and you know, there's something that you said that really resonated with me that you never to be honest, you never really know what the future holds. But one thing that you can definitely do is, or keep in mind is the fact that whatever you end up doing or end up venturing into or whatever path you take, that you are impacting people and that you are changing people for the better, communities for the better, the world for the better. So I love that. And I think that that's a principle that every young change maker should keep in mind that you might in, in five years, you might not be working on this impact project you have, or you might not even be in a certain career path but you just have to remember that in everything you do there should be a benefit to people in some way so yeah thank you so much for that i think i think people would definitely love to follow you and follow your journey as you go more into tech for good or into honestly any area that that you will like go into in the future so how can people like find you connect with you speak with you like i know you have a website and we connected through linkedin but if you could just tell people who don't know yeah i'd just say go and take a look at my website lalaviolet.com that's my first name middle name i put like like, you know the high level overview of what it is I'm working on there I update the website myself regularly uh, and then also all my socials are linked there so that really is like the one-stop place to go for all things Lella um, <laughs> and honestly like I always say to people I'm at the point where I get lots of LinkedIn requests from you know people who attend my talks or find my work so if you leave me like a personalized invitation saying like I always love it when people include a quote or what personally resonated with them from a talk or you know whatever it is that just so I can distinguish from like all the messages that I do get um that would that always just you know helps me filter through some of the people that I get connecting so yeah go visit my website and then yeah come let's come talk on LinkedIn um I feel Twitter is a difficult one to manage as much as I love it I think that it's such a fluctuating platform at the moment and Honestly, I always yes. like to surround myself <laughs> and you know access the online community that I feel I give to but I get from as well so LinkedIn is definitely where you you find you can interact with me most at the moment yeah yeah so you can check out Della's website connect to on LinkedIn I, I honestly I don't use Twitter that much I have like a Twitter account but Twitter scares me so I just don't because <laughs> you never know what you're going to get so I'm just like no <laughs> can never predict with Twitter but yeah uh, I hope that people can connect with you and speak with you more moving to our ne my next question is how can people support you and your work beyond like sharing your work and you know getting involved like what what steps can people take to get more involved with your work basically yeah i'd say definitely come and take a look on my socials because that is where i share all the events i'm speaking at all the webinars you can register to be a part of 
Um, the IBM Z Global Student Hub and IBM Z Explore are the two places to go for like the more technical content. But then do go and check out, you know, the I Will Movement, Our Streets Now, STEMETS, another incredible charity championing getting more young girls and women into STEM. There are so many hats that I wear and so many communities I contribute to that it is you need to go and take a look on my page and see what takes your fancy all of them are very much open to collaboration it's just a matter of asking it's just a matter of signing up i met my mentor through registering for a webinar and spamming the chat until i was recognized by her and here <laughs> i am employed by ibm the uk's youngest ever employee at 15. so you know there have been so many things which have just happened by asking by putting myself out there by being proactive in that way and i'd strongly encourage you to do the same yeah so go and connect with Ella, her work and and like that thing you said about your mentor it, it's funny because well i didn't meet like my mentor through a webinar she spoke at before i got into university i was just checking out the university and i saw they were having an event i hadn't even like i don't think i really even started university but i attended the event i just sent her like an email or something and she she got a reply so i think it goes it goes back to like that first point you made about how you you, you should ask like whether or not you get to know just try and ask but yeah <laughs> that, that's very interesting that that's how you were connected with your mentor yeah i think this is like my last question we've come to the end of the interview but i've had like such an interesting time speaking with you but we always ask every guest this question and it's what are your top three recommendations now your recommendations could be anything from books movies or websites a quote that you live by right now just anything really and you could say more than three we just use three as like a limit but you feel free to say more than three if you have more than three that's such a difficult question because i think you know i could point to so many people um and so many incredible journeys um the one book which I think completely shaped um, my approach to the whole diversity, equity and inclusion agenda has got to be Rebel Ideas by Matthew Side. Honestly, the number of podcasts, number of talks, number of people I've spoken to and told about this book, I need to get like sponsored by it. I need an affiliate link. I need Matthew Honestly, to finally yeah. recognise me. <laughs> like this book has completely changed the way I see diversity in the sense that we talk about the need to have more representative voices at the table and not just have their voices be heard but have their voices be listened to and included and not just have that be a one-off focus group or checkbox or survey but rather how can we properly include them in the decision making process going forward um so yeah for me i just say go and read that book i could sit here for a whole other hour giving you different recommendations but i'd say that that book has totally informed and shaped my approach to such a key part of what it is i do on a daily and i'd say yeah if i could leave you one one thing to go and action and listen to or read right now it has got to be rebel ideas what a book wow i wish i could read it again for the first time <laughs> do you know the funniest thing like when lala says that she needs to be sponsored she actually needs to be sponsored because when we're speaking on linkedin this was the one book you recommended as well and i actually got it and i started reading it and 
It's oh really my gosh, good. yay! <laughs> so it's really, really good. So I, I would also highly recommend it. And, you know, it, it gave me insight into definitely what you spoke about, like diversity and inclusion. Because as I mentioned before, again, before we started recording, like I was on um, a friend's podcast recently and we were speaking about how youth are often in larger organizations, youth are often used just to show face. They're not really utilized. They're just used as props, basically. Just to say, oh, okay, we have youth in our organization, but their ideas are not really listened to or respected. So I think that's for anyone who is in diversity and inclusion or in the DEI space and who, or maybe you just want to learn more about this space and, and how you can be more inclusive towards not just youth, but anyone who is like in the 1% or who maybe does not have their voice as heard as much. I think you should definitely read it. So yeah, picking, piggybacking off what Lala said. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. I learned so much from you and I'm sure that other people did as well. I, I can't wait to listen to this episode again, but I'm very excited to share it with with people and i think that people gain so much insight from it and you you have like you've said a lot of wise things basically so i'm so pleased Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Career check out our website at www.careria.com and follow us on all our social media at ma.careria. Thank you for listening. 